I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. I hope the sound is better than last week. <laughs> well, whose fault is that? I was very stressed out. We had just moved into our new house. I bought all this expensive audio equipment that I didn't know how to use. Uh-huh. So I acknowledge last week sounded terrible. Okay. Uh, it's Friday night. We normally record Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. but I'm leaving very early in the morning to go on a cruise. You are, yes. So certainly we'll catch COVID. No. <laughs> we can only hope and get it out of the way. We can only hope it kills me, but... Uh, oh, boy. But, uh, it won't. Yeah. You're vaxxed and boosted. But, but knowing my luck, I will come out uh, as healthy as a horse. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so we're doing this on a Friday... I feel so discombobulated right now. Well, we just filmed back-to-back things and... We filmed a video for... We, with, need, we need to talk about Cosby. We need to talk about Cosby, a four-part docu-series about the... Uh, about the magisterial majesty. rapist, uh, Bill Cosby. Uh, and uh, The rapist with a popular TV show. And uh, Rifkin's Festival, the new Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Um, and we watched the docu series in one sitting, mm-hmm. so that was a lot of. And this bad. morning, I had a uh, script reading, and I uh, have just been busy with work, and I'm not even prepared to leave in the morning. I have to get up at like four a.m. to get to the airport. Well, you better uh, chop, chop, chop. I know. Well, I don't have anything written down, <laughs> so where would you like to begin? Okay, let's start with films released this week that we didn't cover. Okay. Um, well, you didn't see Scream, but we covered that. Uh, a Cops and Robbers Story was an interesting sounding documentary, as is uh, Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America, both of which I wish we had made time for, but we didn't. Uh, I do recommend The Pink Cloud, which is getting a theatrical release. I believe it was part of Sundance... 2020, back when the world was still open, uh, which is a film uh, that's actually about something in the air killing everybody uh, from Brazil. But that was a, an interesting melodrama that I highly recommend. Um, yeah. And let's talk about films we watched this week for fun. Uh, okay. I watched The Grudge uh, from 2004, which I'd never seen, I can't believe, uh, from... That was notably directed by Takashi Shimizu, who directed the original film that it's based on, Juwan. I have to say, I was not... Do you remember that movie? Mm-mm. It was kind of a... I know Sarah Michelle Gellar's in it. Yeah, and that was... But I think I confused The Grudge with The Ring. Oh, The Ring's much better, but also... You know, that's back... To, the Ring kind of kicked off that remake of uh, Japanese horror films. But don't both of them have, like, some greasy-haired girls in it? Yeah, Samara's in the ring. No, there's no girl in the grudge. It's oh. a little boy. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> but it's just But that was the late nineties, right? That was two thousand four. Oh. As I just said. I, well, okay. um, <laughs> that well yeah, that was in the two thousands. And there were many too many directors to name that were part of uh, the J Horror craze and there are many English remakes. Uh, the Ring, I think, it, you know, probably Nostalgia Factor plays into that, I think was the best. But I just did, as a screen presence, and I was never a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, uh, so I'm sure that a lot of gays my age will get angry. I was never a fan of her, and she hasn't done a film in well over a decade, and I think I can see why. I was just... Oh. I, I, it, I, it's not good. Um, what else did we watch? Uh... 
Oh, a movie right now, ha, you know, the movie has such great content, but that shit only lasts for 30 days. And I feel like the stuff... Wait, we, the the platform movie? Yeah, M-U-B-I. The films they have on there all expire after 30 days? Yeah. Only, so so they, have they a come revolving, and go. They have a revolving festival of... Or oh, festival of I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if it can force you to watch things rather than let them like sit in a queue forever... But then I usually miss a lot of stuff. Oh, that is a clever idea. Yeah, it, it, it'll force people to engage. Hmm. Um, last night I watched uh, the first film. It's kind of a medium-length film from uh, French filmmaker Lucille Hadjahalilovic, um, whose latest film, Earwig, played in Toronto this year. Uh, she is Gaspar Noe's partner. You know what's interesting is the publicist made me take that reference to her relationship to Gaspar Noe out of my review for Evolution back in 2015. But I believe she's still with him. Um, he lensed this, lensed, was the cinema, cinematographer on her, sorry, we're drinking Bloody Marys, uh, her first... With no ice and what, some metal straws. <laughs> well, what other, we don't have plastic straws. And the ice maker... Sustainability. I haven't figured out yet. Uh, La Bouche de Jean-Pierre. Which is also, like Earwig, the story of a creepy older man and a teenage girl uh, who is the niece of his girlfriend. Who's, uh, his girlfriend's much older than him. It's this girl's aunt. Her mother just tries to kill herself, tries to commit suicide in the opening sequence, goes to live with her aunt. The aunt's boyfriend starts trying to mess around with her and leads her to try to commit suicide. And it's only a 15-minute film. Uh, But it's interesting. And then for whatever reason, you went to bed early one night and I... Because I was tired. That's why. For whatever reason. (laughs) Go ahead. And I put on Force 10 from Navarone, which I'd never seen. It's one of several... um, Harrison Ford films, if you will, from around that period, that early Star Wars period that I haven't seen. It's directed by Guy Hamilton from 1978, from a book by Alistair Alistair McLean. And I didn't realize, very naively didn't realize that it's a sequel to The Guns of Navarone, the 1961 film from J. Lee Thompson. And J. Lee Thompson's a a director I like a lot. Guy Hamilton uh, directed four Bond films, if you, anyway. Anyway, uh, so Force... 10 from Navarone is not really well regarded. It was supposed to go into production soon after the first film. Uh, but the leads in the first one, like Anthony Quinn and Gregory Peck and David Niven, were all considered too old at the time anyway. So they would have been way too old by the sequel. So that ex- in part explains some of the delay. So then I also went back because I have the new 4K uh, Blu-ray of Guns of Navarone sitting on a shelf that I've never seen. So I wouldn't watch that after the sequel. I thought both of them were a little dull. I do think Guns of Navarone has the edge. Oh, also uh, the sequel notably is Robert Shaw's last completed film. Uh, and, you know, his daughter is somebody that hires me to do uh, Q&As oh. for the Oscars. Robert Shaw was the the guy who owns the boat in Jaws. Yes. If you don't know. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, watch those. Uh, oh, and it's interesting, to, you know, Jay Lee Thompson, who's a director I like, I think he petered out in the 80s doing a bunch of really bad, I've talked about him before on this podcast, uh, uh, really bad Charles Bronson films. Uh, but he had a really interesting, lengthy career, and I think it's like Robert Aldrich and Robert Altman who had these insanely successful war movies that allowed them to kind of become 
eclectic auteurs uh, in a particular period, if you will. Uh, yeah, but that that's about that. Uh, oh, and then I also have several projects of interest that were announced this week. Fantastic. Um, the first one is, I don't know if I'm interested or irritated, but uh, Luca Guadagnino is doing an Audrey Hepburn biopic, and it's going to star Rooney Mara. Hmm. And I know I gave her uh, good reviews in Nightmare Alley. I just, I think, I, I find Audrey Hepburn boring. And, uh, you know, Rooney a little bit boring. Uh, other than that, uh, William Oldroyd, the director of Lady Macbeth, which is not a direct relationship to the Shakespearean play, uh, starring Florence Pugh from back in 2016. If you haven't seen Lady Macbeth starring Florence Pugh and you like weird art house feminist cinema, watch that movie. Uh, he's got a new project that's filming right now with Thomas and McKenzie and Anne Hathaway called Eileen, uh, about a woman that works in a, a boy's prison, I guess, and some kind of strange thing happens. So, you know, that should probably be interesting based on that filmmaker. And then, of course, uh, there was a new Isabelle Huppert project announced this week. I already knew she would be doing a film with Jean-Paul Salome, who directed her Mama Weed, in 2020, mm -hmm. uh, back when I was in last July, when I was in Cannes, they had talked, said they were working on a new project. Well, it was finally announced. It's called The Sitting Duck, uh, and it's kind of an Aaron Brockovich type true story. But I'm going to read you what the Variety, because uh, I read this out loud to you, uh, what it says the film is about. Uper, uh, the French star, will well, this time stars Maureen Carney, a whistleblower who is found in her home tied to a chair, the letter A carved into her abdomen, and a knife handle inserted into her vagina. Traumatized, she has no memory of the of the assault. I remember you <laughs> reading that. That's to just me. like oh, uh, uh, <laughs> and of course starring Isabelle Huppert. Uh, so you know that is something that'll be high, 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 high on my radar. Mm. Is that it? Mm. It it, um, it reunites her with Benoit Majumel, I, I uh, think I read, who, of course, uh, she starred co she co-starred with in The Piano Teacher, which I made you watch. Yeah. Which is an all-time favorite of mine. Obviously. <sighs> You're winded? <laughs> I mean, it's just a lot, you know. It is a lot. As, as I get uh, accused of all the time, I'm a lot. Yeah. Uh, so are you going to introduce your secret film? Well, we have an obituaries entry. Fuck, yeah. Uh, I was really bummed about that and spent Thursday uh, listening to her. Ronnie Spector died. I was talking about Bob's... Wait, we already talked about Bob We already Saget. talked about Bob Saget. Oh. <laughs> you know who's going to play her in a movie? Ronnie Spector? Yeah. No, who? You don't know? Who? Oh, you spent all day mourning her loss and didn't even read the news. Well, Yeah. Isn't Zendaya playing her in the movie? Is she? Okay. Well, I could be... Maybe, maybe I dreamt about that. It's mm. not real. Hold on. <laughs> That'd be an odd dream. What's the lady's name who died? Ronnie Spector. When I said... Joseph came downstairs. I was like, oh my God, Ronnie Spector died. He's like, oh, the murderer? I'm like, not Phil Spector. She was married to him. Yeah, for a time, yes. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Isn't Zendaya going to play... That was yeah, she's set to play her in an upcoming biopic. That was announced the day she died? What's the date on that? January 13th? Uh, That's yesterday. The day she... Well, I don't know if it was announced then. It's just that I had read it, but... Oh, okay. 
Well, that's fitting, and she is a Name woman. the song I know about. Be My Baby. Oh, that's right. Uh, which opens Scorsese's Mean Streets. is used all over the place, but that's definitely a, a song that's a, a, a vibe of mine. They also have some Christmas standard versions as well, although nothing beats uh, Darlene Love for me in that category. What's your favorite holiday song? Um, I don't know. I don't want to say Mariah, but that's up there. Mine is Oh Holy Night. By Whitney? Well, many people do it. I, I, I teeter. By Whitney. <laughs> yeah, no. Interpreted by Whitney. Many people do it. I think, I really like uh, Celine Dion's version. See, I don't like anything that sounds too Christian-y. I like Mahalia Jackson's version. I like Whitney's version okay. Mariah Carey is a nice version. But uh, Whitney has uh, a rendition of Joy to the World with the Georgia Mass Choir that's on the Preacher's Wife soundtrack. Which, the Preacher's Wife soundtrack is like the best-selling gospel album of all time, I think. You know, I've been asking you to watch that. It's on Maybe Amazon. I made that up. It's too. on Amazon Prime. No, I thought uh, the best-selling gospel was Aretha's. Anyway, uh, Preacher's Wife, you know, is a remake of The Bishop's Wife. Uh, no, I didn't know that. Okay, well, it is. Is it not the best? Yeah, it is the best-selling gospel album of all time. Maybe... That's what took Aretha out of the mix. Oh, okay. No, no. Aretha's album um, is her best-selling album. Oh, that's it. It's not the best-selling album. It It is her best-selling album. Um, Okay. Well, our secret movie is just stupid because I don't remember. But, okay. So, we watched Spider-Man Homecoming. Is that what it's called? Uh, No Way Home. No Way Home is the new one. Like, what? A month ago? Something like that. I don't know. No, so, we were... Uh, I don't know. Not too long ago. And so I was inspired because I didn't recall any of the previous Spider-Man movie. Or Spider-Man movies. So we started with one. With the 2002 Sam Raimi. And then we watched two. The 2004 and then we re- Sam Raimi. And then, we watched two, and then we watched number three. Joseph's pick this week is Spider-Man 3, the 2000 film... 2007 film... Directed by Sam, the Sam Raimi's trilogy, Capper, which I'd never seen. And let me tell you. The, that movie was garbage. It is. It, it took three sittings to get through. It took us three sittings because it, I just was like, this is boring. And I just, it's, okay, it's, I think Tobey Maguire's a cute little guy. And, and so he's tolerable to me. Yep. But I don't understand the appeal. And I said this before about the first two. Kirsten Dunst character, and then her being this like Broadway. She, she wants to be a singer. A singer, but she can't sing. She's but, just, but 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 then in the second movie, she is a Broadway star. She's in the importance of being earnest, if I recall. And it's like there's no mention of her wanting to be a singer, and now she gets a bunch of bad. There, there's a laughable scene where she's fired, unbeknownst to her, which. It's you know what I wish would happen to me. That'd be a great lawsuit the way that plays out. But there's so much shit in this movie I don't care for. First of all, I, I don't think the CGI is that great. I think the story is kind of whack. I didn't because in Spider-Man three, he it that's when Venom shows up, and mm. then it starts with Spider-Man sort of being vengeful and doing things he wouldn't normally do because he's infected by this Venom thing, and then Hayden Christensen, Toe for Grace, Toe for Grace. Same thing with Justin Timberlake hair. Oof. Becomes Venom. And I just, 
oh, I hated that character. He's mad because Hayden Christensen is Topher mad. Topher Grace. Topher Grace is mad at Peter Parker because Peter Parker tells on him. The that, truth. Like, he tells the truth. He tells the truth that this guy sold you a doctored up photo. And he's mad, but it's like, you try... Topher Grace tried to take Peter Parker's job, sabotage him, and then that old bootleg-ass photo he sold was a photo Peter Parker took. Mm-hmm. I, I just... These, are like, comic book, graphic, not whatever you call this shit, I just think the morality that's built into these movies is so weird. Because I don't read comic books, so I don't... I'm assuming comic books aren't meant to be, like, wholesome family friendly things well if you think back to the original wonder woman was all about uh bdsm so keeping that in mind i think it's interesting how like they sort of became like fun for the whole family well anything that has to be made fun for the full family full whole family is usually but i just find the morality in a lot of these movies just so whack like just so so whack and like what are y'all trying to say okay so i think kirsten dunst looks the best she did across all three. Her hair looks the most... She, she seems to have come into her own. Someone needs to help me understand. Is, who's that? January Jones? Who's that lady with the blonde hair? Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce who's, Dallas who's Howard. Who's a beautiful redhead. They make blonde. Which I don't know. I don't read the comics. I don't know anything about them. But, you know, Michelle Williams in the Venom films is that level of Well, blonde. that's what I was about to say. Someone needs to help me understand. Like, is the character that lady played supposed to be blonde? Because if it is then it makes sense. But if it isn't, then I think uh, Kirsten Dunsell hating ass told them, make that girl ugly with that blonde hair so she looks prettier. <laughs> that hair was, it's not good. It, it was terrible. It, it really washes her out. Um, but yeah, and oh my God, then the Sandman character. So there's three villains, ostensibly. There are three villains? Well, James Franco. Oh, James, poor James Frank. Who well, has not to have, poor James Frank. Who has to have a head injury and then come back. I thought he looked better with the head injury. <laughs> well, no, with his face melted half off. That's what, oh, yes, that's right, with his face half melted. So James Franco's a villain. There's Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman. Who looks crazy to me. He does look And then who's the third villain? The third one is, uh, oh, uh, who? Yeah, who's the third villain? <laughs> I know it's not this bloody man. Oh, uh, Venom, Topher Grace. That's right. Dear God, <laughs> dear God. And well, then, because we keep when we keep coming back to Sandman, I'm like, oh yeah, that's still happening in this movie. So Spider-Man's able to defeat the three bad guys with the help of uh, James Franco because he's running around like the Green Goblin. Well, because Mary Jane is in a taxi cab that's suspended in a black spider web high in the sky. Granted, mind you, she t- she makes no attempt to get out of that precarious situation by climbing onto these sturdy enough uh, spider strands that hold a fucking taxi up. Let me tell Jesus you, Christ. That, that lady could have been killed. I don't care. So then, oh my God, Aunt May is just so useless. Rosemary Harris is, yeah. She's so useless. And then it's like... Well, she's so dry. Peter Parker tells his Aunt May, like, I'm going to marry old girl. And so Aunt May gives him her like wedding ring mm-hmm. and then you know oh my god and the proposal scene I, I didn't wrong. understand why Peter so the proposal scene goes south because uh, old girl saw Ke- him making out with Price what's Delta. Kirsten Dunn's character's name Mary Jane MJ sees Spider-Man kissing uh, Santa Claus 
I keep wanting to call. What does January Jones look like? A uh, skinny white lady. Does she have blonde hair? She is. She's a little nondescript looking. Yeah. Let me see. She, oh. She's. I don't know why. I don't even know who this is. I don't know why I'm just saying her name. But, um. Well, it's like Parker Posey. The, the alliteration. Greta Gerwig, Parker Posey, January MJ Jones. Is, ju- is like upset because Spider-Man kissed January Jones. and Their just, kiss, the upside down the kiss. The upside down kiss. And I just... It, and the, so they bring Uncle Ben back. Poor Cliff Robertson again. I mean, good for oh, him. Oh, then the Sandman explains like, mm. I didn't kill your uncle. The, they rewrite the story though so that the Sandman is the one that shot Uncle Ben. Right, because in, in Spider-Man 2... Mm-hmm. Spider-Man 1. Yeah. Oh, God. In Spider-Man 1, we see a bad guy, like, kill Uncle Ben. But then in Spider-Man 3, we find out that it wasn't the bad guy. It was Sandman who did it, but he did it on accident. Like, he was pointing the gun at Uncle Ben, but, like, his buddy hit his arm and it, like, accidentally caused the gun to go off. I just... I don't know. Maybe if I were 13, I would think it's cute. In 2000, what, what year was that? 2007? Yeah. You weren't 13 in 2007. No, but I'm saying if, like, these films are made for teenagers, right? No, I don't think so. That It's like that, weren't you unnerved at the last Spider-Man movie at how all of the adults were acting in the room? It is unnerving. I appreciate, like, nostalgia. And, like... Nostalgia is death. But, you know, just, like... Be- because the people in the audience were probably like cl- like close to your age or maybe my age, but probably closer to your age. No, so, these were the the ladies sitting next to me. Were they? They were older people. Older than me? Yes. These people. This, this is the press. This is L.A. press, honey. There's not well, a lot of young people in there. Well, I think it's like okay if they started watching. When was the first Spider-Man movie? Two thousand. Two thousand two. So you know, it's like. That's damn near 20 years of them enjoying this sort of character. I can appreciate it. And I did enjoy the new Spider-Man movie enough. I mean, I saw the last Avengers film on the Disney lot and the packed press screenings, the way that people were acting. It, to me, you see crowds like that saluting the Nazis. Like, I it's don't, not I, for me, and I don't understand or, it. Or but at I'm football like, games. But I'm like, not going to say it's bad. Like, people can like what they like. I just... I think it's creepy. I just don't think... That, well, whatever. Sp- Spider Man, it is what it is. I, it's just so weird to me. Like, but it's, again, again, we went off on that tangent because it's like, was this for children? It's not. It's not for children. But it's for uh, everything is modified for a teenage adolescent mind, uh, and so then you're expecting whole ass grown adults to also have to uh, hail this shit as entertainment. The reason I don't enjoy superhero movies is because the outcomes are always very predictable like good will overcome or good will defeat evil we shall overcome and the morality of it is just so like i don't i i like i hate when like you know captain america can't i did i even watch captain america whatever superman whatever batman i don't these people like these heroes can't like kill people and hurt people and i just I don't know. It feels so fake to me. And then it's like supposed to be like wholesome. But these, they're destroying entire city blocks. And uh, like, we would not be living in a city if there were, like, any day could be disrupted 
Irreparably. Uh, in Spider-Man 3, every scene where something was happening downtown, all these stupid spectators are standing like right under a building that you know is going to collapse. There's a taxi that's about to fall from between the buildings. Why are we... And they're all standing there. And then it's just this question of like... What if you had to drive through that crowd to get to work? You know if we live I mean? in a world where there are like monsters that can do all this shit and villains that can... And then you have this man dressed up as a in a spider. Well, he's not dressed up as a spider, but some man in a suit flinging around the t- the skyline. It just seems like the world we live in would be so much more dark, right? It would feel so much more flimsy. You mean like Gotham, like I Tim mean, Burton's Gotham? No, I mean like there'd be chaos. Yes. Is there a is is there a, a superhero movie where it's just like reality, like chaos? If we knew there were aliens. That could attack us at any moment. And we knew there was a fucking... I mean, who's a villain in a comic book movie? Uh, Joker? No, like like a supernatural villain. Uh, Poison Ivy. Catwoman. Isn't she supernatural? Is Catwoman a villain? Cat, yeah. She is? She's bad. No. She's sexy. That means bad. In Batman, Catwoman was bad? I think she... You know... I'm talking about like... what? What's a villain in a superhero movie that's like a bad... A bad dead person? Let's say, I don't know, Kate Blanchett and Thor Ragnarok. What if you had bitches oh, yeah, like yeah. that, like, just, like, could just pop up at any time? Then our lives would be very different. hmm You think I'm putting money in a 401k? No. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. you think I'm not bawling out at every chance I get because I'm probably going to die tomorrow? Like, like, I would just love to see, I, I hate these movies where it's like, everything's just normal, even though we know there are people who can fly around and shoot magic out of their asshole and, mm-hmm. like spit flames and shoot lasers out of their eyes I, I think the world would be crazy it would be absolutely it's chaos. too bad that we didn't you think I'm making my my? you think I'm paying Volvo financial no they can come get this car I'm not doing all that you, it, it's, it's too bad that yeah, you were out of town for Eternals because we should have reviewed that if there were men who could turn into rocks or sand or if there was some big ass lizard walking around who could recite Shakespeare, you think the world wouldn't be like? Or trust that I would be doing some shit to myself to be like, well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be. That's a, why I don't like these types of movies. A walking. Because I just have to sit there and just really be like. <laughs> well, I would want to be like a, a, some kind of sexual version of a, an overtly sexual villain. I would want to be the a, adult. Uh, kind of villain that you don't see in any of these films okay yeah something i mean just something that is not so wholesome and like we do the right thing and we have to fight for people people are trapped let me let me tell you if i had superpowers you'd be hancock i'd be robin banks <laughs> and share and that would be my drag sharon name. needles that'd be my my drag name would be robin banks but yeah i'd be robin banks uh-huh. killing fools people i don't like I would let people pay me to fuck people up. Oh my god. Your enemies, your coworkers you don't like, that ex-boyfriend you hate. Yeah. All that. I'm doing all that. Okay. Because nothing matters anymore. You sound like Tony Soprano. You know, or people would question their religion, right? Mm-hmm. If, if there were like creatures well, like this. I if, don't know. If, you, if, you, if there were godly... Like, you, none of these Marvel movies talk about like... Like, literally, isn't Thor like a god? Yes. You just said people would question their religion. We have scientific facts, and people uh, still don't question No, but I'm saying, if there is, like, the fucking god of thunder comes on down from wherever, Mount Olympus, or wherever the hell he lives, 
I like these, these movies don't ever address like that the landscape of civilization would be. Isn't that Valhalla? Valhalla? What? Where Thor lives? That's not who kills vampires. What? Van Helsing. Van. <laughs> what the hell's Valhalla? Valhalla sounds like like fancy yogurt you'd get at like Erewhon. <laughs> uh. No, I'm pretty sure that's uh, in Norse mythology where... Oh, I'm just talking shit because <laughs> there's so much time to talk. Um, so yeah, Spider-Man 3. Now, it yeah, does... Asgard, it's the enormous hall located. It's a majestic, enormous hall located in Asgard. Asgard is technically the... Yeah, if, if Thor came on down from Asgard and landed in like Detroit somewhere, I would want to see how people would react for real. But anyway, so we watched the first three Spider-Man films featuring Tobey Maguire. There's, you know, quite a cast in the third one. We got James Cromwell as the police captain, who's Bryce Dallas Howard's dad. Elizabeth Banks returning. Bill Nunn with nothing to do. Rest in peace. J.K. Simmons in that really abrasive character. Uh, Dylan Baker has nothing to do, who's a professor that's okay. examining the material, the symbiote. Uh, Bruce Campbell has a nice funny bit as the maitre d' at the... Oh, who speaks French? Who's, he's entertaining. Um, and of course, uh, Willem Dafoe makes an appearance. Uh, but <clears throat> Teresa Russell plays Thomas Hayden Church's ex. Oh, I don't even remember that. She's in the one scene where he comes home, he breaks out of prison and co- appears in the kitchen. Okay. Before he becomes, before he becomes sand, after falling in this open pit where scientists are... <laughs> Oh my God, those scientists are performing like major like experiments, like highly, like, and, and they're not even check. Oh no, they do recognize there's something in the pit and they go, oh, it's probably a bird or something. Like, what? And then the lady that's walking around looks like a model. Like, uh. Oh no, okay, what we need to talk about in Spider-Man 3 is when Toby becomes, when Venom gets a hold of Toby and he becomes bad Spider-Man, Oh, there's like a 10... Is it 10? It's not 10 minutes. It's probably like 5 minutes. There's a swagger montage? There's a 5-minute swagger sequence where, yeah, he's he has like emo hair. Oh, it's It looks bad. like he has like... If he doesn't have eyeliner on, he has like mascara on. He looks like Katie Lang. He looks like... He looks like Katie Lang. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. It Constant craving. It just looks crazy. He looks crazy and then he's walking down the street like trying to be desirable, but he looks crazy. It's not good. It was hokey. Yeah. To quote Susan Powder as a, a drag race judge, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I will. I do want to watch the um, Andrew Garfield movies because Ugh. I don't think I saw them. I did, and I remember finding Andrew Garfield even worse. And I like, I kind of do like Andrew Garfield. And in the newest Spider-Man, where all three come back, he kind of was the most. Uh, oddly touching to me uh but again i really could care less about all these things but i i think you'll find them grating and i know i think you already kind of are stank about emma stone um i probably like emma stone less than kirsten dunn really i well see i i think i i started turning on emma stone when she became one of these actresses that the academy decided needed an oscar you know and she won an an Academy Award over Isabel Huppert. I've said this already, I think, on the podcast and probably in videos too. Like, just... Just seeing these, like... Oh, Anglo-Saxon ladies, like... Just, they're so unappealing. Wasps! 
And it's just like, I don't know. I, it, like, it, like, I think she bothers me because it's just like she she's so regular. And then, like, that's what's supposed to be desirable. And then this character in particular, like MJ, like, like that's who y'all are fighting over? Her? Well, and especially Kirsten Dunst. Well, Kirsten MJ. Dunst, they, they, they um, present as kind of traumatized white trash. It's like that her? They, that, that just traipses onto the Broadway and then a few negative renew, reviews. And then all of a sudden she's, she's singing in a cafe. But they won't give brown people role. You know, it, it's just so weird to me. I like, like When I think about characters like that, I just think like, wow, y'all couldn't find an Asian lady or Latina or black lady. Well, isn't it? Or the, just anybody wait. who isn't Kirsten Dunst. In the Anthony, uh, or uh, uh, in the new ones, it's uh, Zendaya, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, when I think about those movies and... Sure, yes. And then when I think about Emma Stone and I think about... La- Is she in La La Land? That's the one, That's the egregious Oscar win for me over Isabelle fucking Huppert. And, uh, but, you know, that said, I, I am, I did, I, I have a... I think Easy A is very sweet. I also kind of liked her in Cruella. Yeah, she was cute in that. But but again, it's just to me it rubs me the, like Jennifer Lawrence winning over Charlotte Rampling, even going back to Julia Roberts winning over Ellen Burstyn. It's like, uh, Hollywood. What did is, I just see Ellen Burstyn in? The Last Picture Show. Oh, we already talked about that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. But uh, I just, I'm tired of Hollywood. Well, then I'm going to change subjects. Okay. I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but what was your first car? A Mazda 626LX, uh, which I wanted a gold car. <laughs> I paid for it in $10,000 cash, thankfully. My, uh, you know, I, I'm white, so I had a grandmother that gave me the money. Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> a lot of people... I mean, to, that's the only thing that I ever received like that in my life. But And I, I'm very grateful that my grandmother did that for me. Because uh, I got to spend... I think I graduated with a BA without having a car payment, which was helpful. Because I also, I also worked full-time since I was 16. Um, but Wait, what I, year was your Mazda? It was a 98. I think oh. it had 30,000 miles on when I bought it. And it had oscillating air conditioning. So my mom had two Mazda 626s. I, I believe she had a 93 and a 96. But yeah, the, the, the sort of cool feature of those model years and then the one you had is they had oscillating vents. I remember the car salesman going on and on about that. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> which I think is funny. No, but I, I straight up had a, a Ziploc baggie full of cash that we brought to the dealership because it was a little over 10 grand. And they're like, oh no, we can't take this. So we had to go drive to, because I'm from northern Minnesota, we had to drive to a separate small town to deposit it so we could go back with a check. <sighs> My first car was a 1984 Toyota Tercel. That was a good year. It was yellow. It was like the color of skin, like pink skin, yellow skin, I don't know, beige skin. Dr. Lecter. It was not an attractive color. Okay. Um, And it was a four-door hatchback. Okay. So like a little station wagon. It had roll-up windows. It did not have air conditioning. Oh, is this the one that exploded on you? I had so many travails with that car. My mom bought it for me on my 16th birthday. And I was so grateful. How much was it? Do you remember? It was like... $1,500. 
eleven hundred dollars. Eleven hundred dollars. It was a nineteen eighty four, and it was nineteen ninety four. So that was like a ten year old car in the mid nineties, um, and it was not a nice car. Um, it had a radio. And I say radio, not stereo, because radio implies one speaker. So it had one speaker mm -hmm. that was huge in the like the back, like the, the wagon part of it, uh -huh. the trunk part of it. Sounded like shit. And then it had an electric moonroof, which I thought was funny. Uh, okay. Um, so... Which is funny because car, car shopping with your mother now, she's very insistent on having a sunroof. Having a sunroof. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I didn't know any... So, I didn't know much about cars back then. And I didn't realize that the oil had to be... Yeah. Like, changed. Checked. Or checked or anything. With the dipstick? So, I had had the car for, like, maybe eight months, just driving all around the world... And one day that shit just locks up and the hood flies off and there's just smoke everywhere. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, um, a family member helped me and my mom paid to have a new engine put in, which was like $800. Oh, that, I have a story about that. Which is basically like the cost of the damn car. Mm -hmm. so, um, so then I'm like, oh, I have to be really diligent about putting oil. But I didn't realize that, like... Not too much oil. Well, and that the car doesn't eat the oil. Like, it's not like gasoline. Uh -huh. Like, you know, it it'll... It's not like watering a plant. No. So, my dumbass, one day... Like, one day... God. Right before school, I stop at, like, an auto zone or wherever and buy a bunch of oil and fill that shit up. Mm -hmm. Like, I fill it up. Like, to the brim. And then I start the car and... Before I even get out of the lot to drive to school, just smoke billowing out of the back of my car. Like, like an, an obscene amount of smoke. Mm -hmm. to the Like exhaust smoke. To the point where people are like trying to pull me over and tell me to stop. And I'm just like, do, 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 do. Drove up to school like that. That was so embarrassing. But yeah, that car got me around during a really, uh, you know, my teenage years weren't the best. Because my parents were having issues. So I would just want to be gone all the time. Mm -hmm. So I drove a lot. And thank goodness gas back then was like 97 cents a gallon. But yeah, I, I would be driving down. And this was in LA. So I'm driving down like major highways. I mean, there was a period where my brakes were bad. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I, I didn't know any better. I would just drive with these brakes. Like, I hope I don't have to stop. Because <laughs> I drove a stick shift. So it's pretty easy to like do engine braking, and then the brakes did work somewhat. But I was like really, it's just amazing what you'll do when you are young and you don't know any better. Like, Amazing, yeah. Yeah, like, like I could have killed myself. Mm -hmm. Like I could have literally killed myself driving that car. But you said you had a story about... Oh, uh, what I'm trying to remember the part that cost me $2,000 to fix. Uh, I was driving to, this was with my Mazda... It was probably 2004, because I wasn't 21 yet. And I, uh, you know, like I said, I worked full time and was in college, so I didn't have, but on my day off, there were, there happened to be auditions for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the movie version. Okay. 
in some god awful suburb of Minneapolis, and my car broke down uh, in Burnsville, and <laughs> I got stuck all day. Uh, and getting back and forth was expensive until they had to uh, they had to fix the car to cost me like two grand. But I never get, did make it to those auditions for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire movie version. But boy, did I think that I would have had a good chance at that oh. age. I'm, I'm looking back. I probably would have been creamed, but for I mourned the fact that that happened. What and, was your? F- oh, go ahead. And then I bought a Pontiac Grand Am, which is the car I had when you met me. When I tell y'all that car was so dirty. Mm-hmm. Well, because you would smoke in your car. I did, yeah. And I was like, I'm not getting in this car. So when we met, I, well, and to this day, I only I ever drive. Well, you don't like my driving. <clears throat> in, I, I drive like I have somewhere to go and Joseph drives like you know that was the cat uh, well, what would you say you drive like a careful person I'm very careful <clears throat> and I don't like feeling rushed no okay here's the other thing that I'm very concerned about smoothness I don't like jolting around I don't like like <laughs> Like, I don't like when taking off from a stoplight and it's just like, oh, like I'm pushed back into my seat or like dipping, co- like whatever the kids say when you turn the corner all fast and it's like, oh my God, where's the handrail? And <laughs> it's just like, I don't like rough driving. Mm-hmm. I want it to feel smooth. Like I want smooth stops. Smooth. I want measured starts. I don't want to have to grab onto something every time you turn a corner. Sure. Um, and I also don't like impatience. Mm-hmm. So I think being in a car with someone who's like swerving in and out and getting too close to people and it just makes me anxious. Like you'd have made a good teacher. It, it makes me very anxious. Because you know what, Mr. I, Robinson. You know what I think when I see people driving like that. Where are you going? Because then when you look at them, it's like you're not going to the gym or the dentist. Oh boy. Or to the mall to get nice clothes. Like where the fuck are you going? To a job you hate. Home to a wife you can't stand. Like, where are you going? Well, they do say road rage is often, um, you know, not always, but a component of that is people that are unhappy with their lives. Sure, and I think like all that, like people just look like their their blood pressure is up and they're angry, and it's like, I don't know. I try to be very calm. You know me. I usually listen to like spa music or chill music in the car, or a lot of podcasts or podcast, but something that I can just like relax, and then it's like. Okay, if I miss the light or someone cuts me off, it's just like, well, I usually don't, you know, you pack a lot into your day, Mm -hmm. so you're always rushing. Sure. So that sense of, you know, I I think, you know, people confuse a sense of urgency sometimes with like (laughs) being productive, but I think it's like... Is that like having urinary problems? What? Confusing urgency with... Oh, God. (laughs) Um... But yeah, I try to give myself enough time so I don't have to rush. So I often feel like people who do that is is is, is I like like the the arrogance of thinking like you should get somewhere faster than everyone else, or it's like why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you packing your schedule in I, so tight? I think I remember RuPaul saying it's about being addicted to chaos, kind of. And and I think if you, you know, one good thing during the pandemic is being able to kind of take your foot off the brake and. Learning to chill a little bit and, and yeah, learning that it's okay not to pack so much into the day. And sure. Um, what was your first job? 
my first job was at a dishwasher. I was a fucking dishwasher making $5 and 15 cents an hour. Um, uh, in Hibbing, Minnesota at a, a local deli. My first job was at a McDonald's. <gasps> my first interview was at a McDonald's and the lady didn't hire me and told the coworkers that were there, and this is a small town so everybody knows each other, that I was high at the interview. And my mother dropped me off and I definitely was not. But then it got back to me. So... And my mother called there and complained about okay, it. Okay, so, so then this is a good segue because my first job was at a McDonald's and my manager was a trans black Jamaican woman named Jennifer and who reminds me a lot of Dominique uh, Jackson uh, from Pose. Oh, as Electra? As Electra. Okay. And she, I back then I thought she was awful because I had never worked and I didn't know what it was like to be responsible and have to do stuff. And, uh, you know, I only got paid $4.25 an hour. But I remember telling my mom, like, oh, I hate working there. The manager, Jennifer, so mean, blah, blah, blah. And then years later, mm-hmm. my mom told me that she went down to my job and threatened her with a baseball bat. And when she told me that, it's like it made perfect sense because I remember there being a switch mm-hmm. in like how Jennifer treated me. Like all of a sudden she wasn't talking to me like she was crazy. She used to make me do w- weird shit. Okay. And I don't know if she, I don't know, you know, and then, mem- you know, my memory shitty. So who knows what I'm adding on to this, but I feel like I think she just didn't like me and maybe she just didn't like I mean, I don't know why a, tra- a black trans woman would not like the little black gay boy, but she treated me like she didn't like me. And she would have me do weird chores like take a plastic knife, like a plastic McDonald's knife and wrap it with like a wet towel and like go and cl- get on my hands and knees and clean like all the edges of the walls and really weird shit. Meanwhile, the bathroom's dirty. So in my mind, I'm like, she's deliberately making me do this because really I could be cleaning the bathroom, right. which wouldn't be a shitty yeah my mom threatened that damn lady and she didn't tell me about that until many years later but after she said it it made sense like oh yeah all of a sudden she was nice to me and didn't make me do all the weird shit i remember as a as a as a dishwasher and i got two five cent raises while i worked there after i probably worked there like six i'm rich but just the way that they put nick we're gonna give you a raise like oh my god how much five cents Okay, I mean, I could barely afford to stay a smoker. Oh, what a strategy. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Your first concert? Was much later in life. Because um, my, mom, my mom was bringing my your sister, who's damn near six years younger, to like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. I didn't go to a concert until Muse when I was uh, in college. Oh, what year was that? Oh, I, probably 2006. Okay. And I went with my, my good friend Ted, uh, downtown Minneapolis, uh, the Orpheum, I don't quite remember. Okay. But then I dated a person who that's all they did was go to concerts, so then all of a sudden I was seeing three or four concerts a week at okay. se- like 7th Street Entry and 1st Ave, and, uh, I, and I did see a lot of good shows and um, was introduced to a lot of music that I never would have been. Sure. My first concert was 1990, the Great Western Forum, of course, Janet Jackson, Rhythm mm-hmm. Nation. And you know, back then you had to go to a music store to get tickets. And they, 
it was such a fun experience because there would be like a big book, like almost like a phone book. Mm-hmm. And then of all the venues and all the seating arrangements, and then you would buy the tickets that way. And I remember my mom taking me and buying me the one ticket. And I remember her buying me like an outfit. And I was what, 12? And then took me and then waited for me. And then um, I, I, I didn't have any money back then because I was only 12 and I didn't get an allowance. But, and I didn't know that at concerts there was merch. Mm-hmm. So I remember, but I, at 12 I was very aware that like, because my parents didn't have a lot of money that like I couldn't just ask for shit. But I really wanted something from the show. So I remember running back out and telling my mom like I want something. And she probably couldn't have given me a lot. Mm -hmm. And I remember she gave me enough that I could buy like a medallion, a leather bound medallion that said like 1814, which is the tattoo I have on my um, bicep right now. Mm -hmm. But um, I kept, but yeah, but I kept that thing for, I mean, that reminds me of George Papard at Tiffany's, but having to buy the smallest thing. I had to buy the cheapest thing, but I kept that thing for 25 years. Okay. Oh, no, longer. What's your Because I only recently threw it. I threw it away when I got rid of all that stuff in my lunchbox that I used to carry around. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, what, what's your favorite concert? Uh, oh, wow. I mean, it would be a Janet concert, but. Mm-hmm. Probably like 1994, I saw her at. Uh, I believe it's called the Glen Helen Pavilion in uh, oh, San yeah, Bernardino. You, you've talked about that before. Yeah. yeah, and it was an outdoor venue, and it was, you know, the Janet period album, and she just looked great. Janet Fua. And then it was like, because then it was songs from the three big albums in like this two and a half hour concert that was just like so epic, and then the set design for that tour was just like so artistic, and, and I was a little older, so I just felt like an adult, and... It was also during the time when my parents were having all their problems, so it felt like an escape. Mm-hmm. And then they had sort of taken me together, so it felt like, oh, they're... For this moment, they're being, like, okay to each other, and then they're taking me to go see this thing. and So that was nice, but... What's your favorite? I think Stereo Total in 2007... Like at the hole in the wall on Seventh Street entry, French singer, German guy. Um, I I played. I have that. I really like that album that was of that concert uh, with with the song Patty Hearst on it, which I know I played for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to sing into the microphone. Uh, but that was a bizarre experience and uh, very interesting. You and I have only seen we've seen a few people actually. Our first concert together was Celine Dion. We've seen Janet more than... We've seen her many times. I've seen her like three, five, three times with you. Three times with me? Oh, okay. Because we, we drove to Nebraska. We drove to Omaha, Nebraska to see her. We saw, we saw her, her at Griffith Park or at the Hollywood Bowl. You went by yourself. Oh. But I saw... I was at the forum with you during Unbreakable and... You didn't see State of the World? Isn't that State of the World? Oh, State of the World was uh, the residency, wasn't it? No, that was Metamorphosis. You oh. saw Metamorphosis, which was in Vegas, her residency. You saw Number Ones, that was in Omaha, Nebraska. You saw State of the World, I thought. At the Forum, then. At the Forum. Okay. 
Yes, you were at the forum. Yes. Because we went to that VIP. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then we've seen... <laughs> We've seen some interesting people. We've seen Fantasia more than once. Twice, yeah. We've seen Patty LaBelle. We have. We've seen in, in um, at border at the border. Yeah, at State Line. We've seen Tony Braxton several times. We've seen Tamar Braxton. Yeah, a couple times. <laughs> and even Trina came out there, her little tree tree uh-huh. uh, party dough. Uh, we've seen SWV. Oh well, then yeah, SWV. We've seen uh, Bobby Beyonce. Brown. We've seen Beyonce. Bobby Brown. God, Bobby Brown looked rough. He did. Uh, yeah, we've seen quite a few. Robin. Oh, Robin with Roy Sop. With Roy Sop, yeah. I can't think of anything else, but it's been a minute. Uh, yeah, it's been oh, a Lady Tron. I made you go to Lady we Tron saw with me. Lady Tron, which is one of my favorite bands of all time, like Welsh electro pop. But you know, concerts might be a thing again. Sometime soon. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I I feel like I think I sold my tickets to Goblin when they were here in 2013. And I kind of wish I had gone. But they did the uh, soundtrack for Suspiria. Oh. But yeah, anyhow. While going on this cruise is like, it's just so funny how. Oh, shit. I'll be covering Sundance. <laughs> you will be. I will be covering Sundance and some select items at the Rotterdam Film Festival, both of which start next week. Uh, and then I will be going to Berlin, uh, which is still happening uh, if I don't get COVID. Yeah, I mean, it's just so weird because, like, this, you know, the CDC has lifted its uh, sort of uh, recommendations for the cruise industry starting tomorrow, the 15th. So as soon as that news was. Um, like, as soon as they said they weren't going to renew their recommendations, the cruise ship loosened the requirements. So, for the cruise ship I'm going on, it's a charter cruise. So, the charter is adding additional rules to make it a little more safe. So, for the cruise I'm going on, everyone has to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. For a normal Royal Caribbean cruise, not everyone has to be vaccinated. And then they were saying you had to be tested 48 hours before and before you board. Mm -hmm. But now they're saying you just have to be tested 48 hours before. Which is is making me a little uneasy just because now it's like, well, people can get into a lot in two days. Yep, sure. I mean, they could also take a test 48 hours before and then five minutes before and still get in contact in that interim and spread it. But, you know, the more lax we become, the more easily it spreads. (laughs) So that's making me a little concerned. But then part of me is like, I feel like I'm going to get sick at some point. So I don't know. That that, that sounds stupid. I don't want to get sick, but I just don't know that. I think Because for the last two years, I've been... Well... It's, sort of isolating. We're not ever going to get away from it. It's going to we, but we need to get up to a place where it's endemic. I did go to a cruise. I did go on the same cruise in October, and mm-hmm. I was fine. Yeah. So you know, I don't know. I. It it's just weird how like some things are happening, some things aren't, and the messaging we get is you know not all of us are having the same experience. Like I'm not experiencing like an an inability to get healthcare. 
or long lines well, to it, get things or yeah, shortages of this and the United States of course is not united right <laughs> is how, so, is how a reminder and, and then I'm able to like travel and like I already went on one cruise and now I'm flying tomorrow morning to go somewhere else to go on a cruise and I've been you know living in LA like a lot of things have been open and people have been pretty good about wearing masks so I, I like I guess things don't feel well we like haven't done anything since like with others since like at least two weeks before our move to kind of avoid exposure yeah. For you. Yeah. Well, then there's just really hasn't been time, but that's true. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, it's been a long day. All right, ta ta. Bye. <laughs>